The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. As we come down from a frantic week of wall-to-wall US election talk, this final episode in our shortcut on the US elections wraps things up as best as possible at this point, starting with a look at how America voted, how the House and the Senate vote is looking, and what happens from here on out, especially in the lead-up to Joe Biden's inauguration on the 20th of January. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, there's going to be a lot of analysis of the vote when the results are declared and all the dust settles, but there's quite a bit that we already know about how Joe Biden got across the line. To start at the top, the record turnout was remarkable with about 160 million Americans voting in the presidential election. And there's still some counting to go to allocate all of those votes, but it's expected that Biden will amass 81.8 million votes, while Trump will receive about 74.9 million. That makes them the most and second most in US history. A lot of people went to vote. That's some 22.5 million more people who voted in this election than the 137.5 million who voted in 2016. And in terms of percentages, it takes it to somewhere over 66% of the eligible population that's voted, which is a record. And records look to have been set in more than 40 of America's 50 states in terms of the percentage of the population that cast a ballot for president. Despite all that, not a whole heap of states actually changed how they voted from 2016 to 2020. As it stands, though, there are three and possibly five states that did change their preference from Republican to Democrat. Talk us through the return of the much referred to blue wall to the Democrats. The blue wall refers to three states in the north of the country, and that's Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. They were states that reliably supported the Democrats until 2016 when they flipped to vote for Trump. Winning them back was really crucial for delivering Biden that victory called blue because blue is attributed to the Democrats, red is attributed to the Republicans. Biden, Claire, might also win Arizona, making him the first Democrat to do so since 1996. And across the other side of the country, Georgia is still in play, where Biden will be the first Democratic winner since 1992. What do we know about the demographic trends in how people voted? A little is known. Going more strongly Biden's way this time were women than went to Hillary Clinton in 2016. It looks like a lot more young people voted in this election and that's helped Biden. Going Trump's way, though, were key groups of Hispanic voters, uh, not just in the South Florida. There seems to be a Hispanic vote across the board going to Trump. Also Mexican-Americans in South Texas, and that wasn't really expected. Mm -hmm. But what the commentary is saying is they really put economic concerns, particularly around losing their jobs with the coronavirus crisis, ahead of other concerns. But there's still a lot to unpick about that. One topic that's also been widely discussed is that it seems traditionally Republican voters, for whatever reason, for example, like the rising second wave of the coronavirus, proportionally speaking, didn't get out on election day to vote. So the question has been raised whether Trump stifled his own vote by being critical of mail-in voting. Another topic on high rotation, Claire, is how the polls got it wrong again. 
Well, sort of hold your horses on that one a bit. The discussion on that is only just starting and there's going to be a lot to go through on that front. One school of thought already is that it projected that Biden would win with a popular vote of eight to nine points or so and where he's probably going to land is about 4.3 percentage points. So some say that the result will probably wind up within the margin of error, which is about three or four points at that national and state level. But there's others who say the polls got it very badly wrong Mm. and that it's a real problem when it comes to gauging elections in the future because, of course, it's the second national election where they haven't been able to pick it. Trump, meanwhile, says that the polls reporting a shift away from him in the lead up to election day was a conspiracy of the media against him. There will be more to know about all of that in the coming weeks and months. Let's leave it there, though. Let's now take a look at the other big races that happened. They're easy to forget, but they're important. The battle for control of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Claire, let's start with the House of Reps. To refresh everyone's memory, I'm sure everyone listening chewed into our other shortcuts <laughs> on the US election. Without doubt. All 435 seats are elected every two years. The Democrats won the House at the 2018 midterms. And at the moment, it's not been declared, but it looks like the Democrats will hang on. Yeah, it's a really interesting one to keep watching. The Democrats have underperformed against expectations in the House vote. They've lost nearly every race that's been close so far. In fact, it looks like the Republicans may have made a net gain of five seats and counting. So it's clear from this that the Republicans weren't on the nose across the board. Again, a lot of work will go into analysing this on a seat-by-seat basis, but it does look like in some areas that there was a vote against Trump when it came to voting for president, but those same voters have preferenced their local Republican candidate when it came to the House ahead of the Democrats, and that wasn't expected. Still, as I said, it looks like the Democrats have the 218 seats they need to secure a majority. And Democrat Nancy Pelosi is seeking the support of her party to be returned as Speaker of the House, someone we hear about a lot in the news. Maybe a shortcut on her coming up, I reckon, Claire. Looking at the Senate, it doesn't have a winner yet. No, it's a chamber with 100 seats and the Republicans held power there heading into the election. At the moment, it's sitting at about 48 to 48, which means that there's four more spots to be decided. And just as a reminder, there were only 35 seats up for grabs this election. Senators cycle through a six-year term. Before the election, the Republicans held a two-seat majority in the Senate. And there doesn't seem to have been any huge upsets in the Senate races, but the Democrats have again lost most of the toss-up races, just like they did in the House. There's a scenario where it ends up a 50-50 result, Mm. which would favour Biden because it gives the newly installed Vice President Kamala Harris a casting vote when they're deadlocked as part of her role part of that role of vice president is to be head of the Senate. That would obviously make life a lot easier for Joe Biden if he did have control of the Senate. Speaking of Joe Biden, let's now take a look at the road that takes us from where we are right now to Inauguration Day on the 20th of January. As we well know, Claire, Donald Trump has not conceded that he's lost the election and he's mounting legal challenges to pursue vote recounts and allegations of voter fraud in those critical and close battleground states. Trump has so far not produced any evidence of widespread voting fraud. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk from Team Trump about what they consider to be legal votes and what are illegal votes. On election night, Trump said that he wanted the voting to stop, but what he actually meant was that he wanted the counting 
voting to stop there and then so that those mail-in votes weren't included in the final tally. His strong position is that votes that were mailed in and postmarked by election day but arrived in the days afterwards should not be counted. And by that score, Trump would probably have won the election because of what they call the red mirage. That's a reference to more Republican supporters casting their votes at voting centres on election day. And those votes are counted on election night. The issue being that millions of Democratic Party supporters used early voting to participate in this election. Yeah, and the coronavirus changed this election in terms of how Americans actually cast their votes. Mm. They did that in big numbers. And each state has different rules about how they count the vote. But it's certainly not illegal, as the Trump campaign has argued, for those mail-in votes that arrive after polling day to be counted. And there have been some senior Republicans urging Trump to provide hard evidence of fraud if that's been committed, but that hasn't been forthcoming yet. So as far as the process goes, those legal disputes have to be finalised by the 8th of December because on the 14th of December, the electors, those 538 people who represent the Electoral College, have a quite important job to do. They need to vote by paper ballot in their respective state capitals for the presidential candidate that won their state. Now, there's 33 states and Washington, D.C. that have laws and regulations requiring those electors to vote the same way as the popular vote from their state. There's a wildcard scenario where electors go rogue and vote for the other candidate. And (laughs) it's probably something that Team Trump are dreaming about, but there's no suggestion that that's going to happen this time around. So the electors cast their electoral college votes and they are turned into certificates of the vote. That's what they're called. They're then sent to officials, including the president of the Senate by registered mail. That has to be received by officials by the 23rd of December. Yep, just in time for Christmas and ignoring any digital channel like email exists, (laughs) snail mail is the way this process goes. Interesting. And on the 6th of January, the House and Senate hold a joint session to count the electoral votes. If one ticket has received 270 or more electoral votes, which is what they're expecting Joe Biden will have, the President of the Senate, who is currently the Vice President, Mike Pence, announces the results. 20th of January is inauguration day when the new administration is sworn in and Trump is then required to vacate the White House. Are they going to be able to get him out? (laughs) Yes is the short answer, but as we've discussed, he's certainly not going without a fight. So right now, Trump is in the period when he's known as a lame duck president. That refers to this period between losing the election and his successor being sworn in. But he's not really lame at all because between now and then, Trump does have the full powers of the presidency to exercise policy and personnel changes as he sees fit. Yeah, and there's a lot of focus right now on what Trump's going to do with that time. On the policy front, he can't force too much change because any shifts can just be undone by Joe Biden after he's sworn in. Mm. But what he can do is use the time to punish his enemies and reward those who have been loyal to him. And that can be pretty consequential. So that encompasses things like firing cabinet members. He's done that this week over Twitter to Defence Secretary Mark Esper, and he can potentially sack senior government officials, Claire. And he can issue pardons. So what everyone is keeping an eye out for is Trump pardoning himself, his friends, family members, Trump business entities and employees for any crime they might have committed during or before his presidency. 
which would be a major new chapter in the story that has been Trump's presidency. It's been quite extraordinary. Claire, I suspect we'll be talking more about that between now and Inauguration Day. (laughs) Something tells me you're right. (laughs) (laughs) That's your shortcut to the wash up from the US elections. On to our recommendations. My recommendation is, again, the New York Times, the daily podcast. They've got an episode from the 10th of November on polling and and what may have gone wrong. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's a good one. And I still can't get past the episode where Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, turned up at the Four Seasons Total Landscaping Centre in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, (laughs) for that press conference where they were talking about the legal actions they were taking. And of course, it's thought that they were meant to host that at the Four Seasons Hotel. But I've got a link explaining that whole saga and all the colour and movement. Around that, it was quite funny and entertaining, I think. A very strange way to finish up a weird week. Oh, we've got to have a laugh. We've got to have a laugh. This is our final shortcut in our US election series, as we said. If there's other news you've been dying for a shortcut on, we are all ears. Shoot us an email to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Until next week. Listener.